All right, we are thinking this morning about listening to God and how God speaks to us and how well we listen. Uh, It's all about listening. God, Jesus, has the words of eternal life. He has the good news for us. Would it not be great if we listened well and heard from him well? So we're going to pause and pray and then explore this idea of listening well uh, and see where we end up. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you speak to us. Lord, that you're not just random somewhere outside of our lives, that you speak constantly to us, that you love us desperately, that you speak words of life into our lives, and you speak words of light, life, wisdom, and good news. Lord Jesus, this morning, we pray that you would open our ears to you, open our hearts to you, that we would hear you this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Listening. It's all about listening. The tennis balls have a point. Well, I'll find a point by the time we finish this sermon, I'm sure. Uh, I'll find a point somewhere. So think about listening. Um, Jesus speaks words of eternal life. And right at the beginning of the Bible, we hear how God created everything from nothing. Um, I'm not going to take you through literally the whole Bible, but I just love this whole idea that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the darkness when there was nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then what happens? Because God spoke. God said, let there be light. And there was light. How do you imagine this? I'd love to know how you imagine this. Did, did you imagine it as God said, let there be light? And there was a little flicker of a candle. I mean, maybe, I'm not, it might have been that. Or do you imagine it as a more of a... I imagine it because it's my character style. God said, let there be light, and there was a, a boom, explosion of light, because that is just my nature. Um, but it could have been quiet, who knows? But basically, God spoke and there was light. And then later, all the way through the Bible, as we see uh, his story happening, he speaks words of life and light. And Nicodemus, um, the religious person, asked what he needed to do to receive eternal life. And Jesus said to him, you've got to be born again. Like, he was like, don't you? What's going on there? It's like, I need to be reborn, uh, rebirthed as Jesus speaks. So I'd love us to explore this idea of listening. Um, now, God speaks in many, many different ways. Um, how do you imagine him speaking to you? I'll pause for a few seconds as you think about that. I'll give you one idea. Uh, sometimes we think he speaks to us like a king, um, with a decree. Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt go to Nineveh. Thus saith the Lord, kind of idea. Now that decree idea, you must do this. And we sometimes imagine him speaking to us like that, don't we? Uh, well, he does. It's, it's, not a rhetoric, it's not a weird question. He does speak to us sometimes like that. How else do you imagine him speaking to you? In what other ways? Again, feel free to have a little chat together if you want to. If you don't, you can just look awkwardly around the room if you prefer. But like, have a little chat. How do you imagine God speaking to you? Kingly decree? How else? You might have some ideas there. As I was thinking about this, sometimes I imagine Jesus speaking to me like a teacher. He's got some wise ideas as I'm reading perhaps some things in the Bible. I think that's a good idea. That makes some sense. I can apply that to my, my life like a teacher. Um, he did a lot of that in the Gospels, didn't he? He talked about um, real life, so like a teacher, wise lessons, um, answering questions. That's like a teaching um, approach. Sometimes I imagine him as a close friend. 
Um, I really hope you've got some close friends. Sometimes they put an arm around you, don't they? They're your close friends and comfort you. Um, your good friends should kind of call you out when things aren't going so well. Um, Phil, sometimes you talk too much. You know, a good friend might tell me that. Um, even a not a friend will tell me that, to be honest with you. But like, that's just, just, just how it goes. Uh, so like a good friend will say things to you that's honest to try and help you. And sometimes Jesus speaks to us like that as well, certainly in my experience. He's like, Phil, Phil, my friend, it's not a good idea. So I imagine different ways. Um, and the point I just want to open up here with is that if, if we narrow God's voice into one or maybe only two ways, we're going to miss so much of what he's saying to us. He speaks to us all the time in so many different ways. Um, right at the beginning of this conversation, I'd love you to sort of leave with that idea. He'll be speaking to you as you drive home or walk home or cycle home. He'll be speaking to you as you eat food together. Um, he'll be speaking to you as you work. Um, he'll be speaking to you as you sleep, would you believe? Uh, just He speaks to us all the time. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we could hear him uh, more frequently? That's what I'm after this morning. Hebrews 4 says this, The Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes, this is God's word, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we're accountable. Every time I talk, I like to use the word naked. We are naked before God. He sees everything. He sees it all. And it's his word that brings life. All right, well, let's think about, you're, you're happy that God speaks to us. So that's a premise, right? No, I don't think anyone's going to say, no, he doesn't speak to us. You're, you're very welcome to. He, he does speak to us, doesn't he? Thank you, that's good. Just, 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 just to check. And uh, therefore, we sometimes need to listen, don't we? So let's just think back to that very quick early exercise. Um, when someone's chatting with us, uh, what's, what's a good way to show that we're listening or having a conversation? You can yell out if you want to. Eye contact helps, doesn't it? So um, pause the thought. I'm working with a team at the moment uh, in a boardroom, I work with leadership teams, um, that have a meeting like this. Just like that. So uh, they do have eye contact, but it's up and down, up and down. Um, and one of the chaps, this was in Holland, uh, one of the chaps said to me, um, I'm not going to try a Dutch accent, you're okay. Uh, he said, um, Phil, is it true that there's a difference between men and women? And I interrupted quite quickly and said, yes, it is true that there is a difference between men and women. I then let him finish his sentence, which was, is there a difference between the way men and women think? Can men multitask or can only women multitask? What do you think? <laughs> oh, uh, well, the answer is nobody can multitask, if you didn't realize that. No, not men nor women can multitask. In fact, we can multitask. We can do basic things like breathing. You're all breathing. It's good. I can see you're breathing. That's a good thing. We can do basics like breathing and something mental, but we can't do two mental things. Um, those of you that drive know this. You can't drive because it takes concentration and text. Who does that? You can't, you can't do two things at once. In fact, what we do, we don't multitask, we switch task. We go from one thing to another, one thing to another, fast, fast, fast. That's not multitasking, it's switching. Nothing wrong with that, it's just not very efficient. Um, so if we're discussing things with people and somebody's switch tasking, 
all the time, you perhaps won't get the idea that they're listening to you. Let me just move that before I put my left cheek on the keyboard. Um, when we're discussing things with God, I think he'd prefer our better attention, don't you? What's the equivalent of having our eyes on him as he's discussing stuff with us? A bit of a conversation. Um, I, you know, I, I can switch tasks around, get very distractible. I know that's a shocker to you. But if we're having a bit of a chat, driving in the car, a bit of a sort of mental thought chat with God or something, um, I'll be like, oh, what's happening over there? Or some such. Or something pops up on the radio. It'd be really great if we don't switch tasks so much. Very good. Uh, how else do you know someone's listening to you? You've just done this. How do you know? Body language and empathy. So what would be some good body language? Eye contact is good as long as it's not weird. That's good. So a bit of body language is good. A bit of openness. I'm listening. How else do you know people are listening to you? Again, you've just done the exercise. A bit of feedback. Yeah, some relevant feedback. So um, you'll have some chats with people sometimes. Hopefully you've just conveyed something interesting to each other. Um, Now, if someone's listened to you, they might sort of just engage in your story quite well. Or they might ask a question about what you've just said. That's a good thing. Uh, Here's what we sometimes do. Um, If someone's maybe told us something, we're very quick to tell them something back about us. Um, So, in fact, we did this also in Holland, as it happened. Um, I just asked if anybody had been on holiday holiday recently. Um, Somebody started telling us about their trip to to Crete. Well, we went to Crete in the summer as well. So I thought I'd just tell them all about our holiday um, to make the point. Um, People who listen are listening actively to what, what you're trying to tell them. They're not waiting to jump in with their ideas. I think, you know, sometimes we can do this with God too. If he's discussing stuff with us, hey, Phil. I don't know why I imagine him with an American accent, forgive me. Hey, Phil. Hey, Phil. Um, how you doing? <laughs> that's not how he talks to me, honestly. I have a friend who does talk to me like this, but that's not how he talks to me. Hey, Phil, how you doing? Um, how about we think about Sunday service this morning? You've got a talk to give. Let's have a think and a chat about that. Uh, and I might, I might be something like, yes, God, okay, that sounds good. Now let me tell you all about my problems with work. And he's like, yeah, I'd like to talk to you about Sunday. I'd like to talk to you about work. And we can have this like, little disconnect if you're not careful. So an active listener will listen to you and wants to discuss what you've got to discuss, don't they? Okay, how else do you know someone's listening to you? They don't fall asleep. Oh, now I'm in trouble with Jesus. Okay. Uh, so if someone's listening to you, they don't fall asleep. I'm going to get my tennis balls out again in a minute, for those of you who are nodding off. Um, they don't fall asleep if they're actually actively listening to you. Okay, now I do have a problem with Jesus. Sometimes we're chatting and I do fall asleep. Apologies, God of heaven, for nodding off occasionally. And um, they're actively interested, aren't they? Um, how else do you know someone's listening? Okay, all good. Yeah. I think if I think about, and I'm very nervous now, I'll drop my voice because Hope's helping Rachel. Hope's my daughter. She's, she's nearly 12. Um, she's helping Rachel next door. So I'm going to whisper so she doesn't hear this. Um, I know that Hope's listened to me if she then does what I've asked her to do. That's kind of a, kind of a clue, isn't it? Um, Hope, would you mind please tidying your room? And, you know, if she does it, she's listened. Um, sometimes she listens and doesn't do it. That's a choice. 
Uh, so we are similar to Jesus. It was sort of similar, isn't it? So sometimes he asks things of us and we can listen. And uh, God will know that we've listened if we then do what he's asked. Um, team, I think you should go out to Kenya and start a mission out. Um, out in Ke- okay, Lord, I'll go. And we'll do. I think, Phil, you should really phone such and such a person because they, well, they might not even tell me why. I think you should just phone them up. Oh, I'd rather not. I've got stuff to do. <clears throat> I'd rather not. We've got stuff to do. You know, if we're not careful, we just kind of listen, but we dismiss too quickly. So you're getting the idea. Uh, listening, therefore, is a relational listening. It's a bit like a tennis ball sometimes. It's a two-way thing. It's got to go out and back and out and back. And I think sometimes that's where uh, God is asking us. I knew I'd get an analogy in there from the tennis balls. Here we go. Three reasons, three ways that we sometimes get in our own way when listening to God, as in ways that we don't listen very well. There are three, and they all begin with C, because I've made them begin with C, because um, I can. Uh, the first is this, the comfort of the couch. Well, I, as an aside, do you use the word couch? Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's couch? Couch is a word, isn't it? Couch is a word? Oh, no, it's not a word. See, oh, um, I had to look this up because, um, when was this? Last week, I was chatting to Hope about something and talked about the couch, and she said, what's a couch? What do you mean, what's a couch? You're nearly 12. You should know what a couch is. She said, I've never heard the word couch. Uh, And there began a bit of a discussion about couches. Um, So for those of you that aren't entirely sure, a couch is a long, upholstered piece of furniture for several people to sit on, otherwise known as a sofa or a settee. But like sofa and settee doesn't rhyme with comfort, so I'm going with comfort of the couch. <laughs> the comfort of the couch, open bracket settee, uh, can cause us, in fact, not to really listen. And what do I mean by this? I mean the comfortness of life um, can sometimes create this condition where we just can't be bothered, if I'm honest. If I'm honest to myself, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered. Jesus, I, oh, I can't be bothered. I'm sort of over-dramatizing this. Uh, Phil, I think it'd be really good for you to go through the Bible in the year. What a great idea, Lord. I can't be bothered. That's the comfort of the couch. Or I'd love to spend some time with you just chatting stuff through maybe. Yeah, yeah, I can't be bothered. I've got other things to do called Netflix and Netflix or some such. I'm not against Netflix. I write and watch, write. I watch a lot of Netflix. Um, but the comfort can be a bit seductive. Um, avoiding really what God is asking us to do, or just really sometimes not listening to them. If you think about people in your life, uh, and I'm so, I'll look up out the way for a minute here. Uh, I'll ask my question, and I'll look up out the way, right? So, uh, do you have people in the life that really can't be bothered with you? I'm slightly nervous. We tend to have one or two, um, don't we? Where you think, like, I've asked them to come to my party. Do you have parties? Please have parties. Do you have parties? Have more parties. Um, but I ask them to come. It just can't be bothered. I think, oh, okay, don't then. I've got stuff to do, or washing my hair, or whatever it is. Um, and if we're not careful, in the same sort of pursuit of faith, we can become a bit overcomfortable and avoid Jesus' words, avoid what God has for us, and prefer a slightly more comfortable way. Um, sometimes he asks us to act on our faith, does he not? Well, he does. I'm not. He does. He asks us to act sometimes. 
Uh, what would be a very straightforward thing that we could say from the Bible that God asks us to do? There's without any question, there are two or three very straightforward things. What does he ask us to do? Love one another, right? So that's a really nice phrase. Love one another. Love God, love others, serve many. Love, all good, right? So love one another. Um, how do you know someone loves you? It's when they act, when they do things often. It's not just remote. There are things happening. Um, I have people in my life that love me. I know that because they do stuff. They show up. They're there. I come home from a trip and they're in the same house that I left them in. Brilliant news. Thanks very much. All good. No one's packed the bags and left yet. Fabulous news. There's action there and, just, and choices to be made. And let's love one another and feed the poor, help the orphans and the widows and so on. There's so much that God says to us. Um, you know, honestly, I think sometimes you say, God, please, please speak, please speak, please speak to me. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. Um, please speak, please speak, please speak. And he says, it's quite simple. Love one another. Do some stuff about that and help the poor and do some stuff about that. That's my words. Wow. I haven't got time for that. I prefer the comfort of the couch or settee or sofa. That kind of not being so bothered can really hold us back from hearing what God has for us. Uh, way back when, when I was a teenager, which was a very long time ago, quite, I, I know it's a shock to some of you, but um, I haven't been a teenager for about 30 years. Shocker. Um, we, there was a little time in our lives as teenagers where we were chatting a lot to each other about the fear of being called to go to mission, if, if you follow the thread. Um, so like, oh, I'd be really terrible with the, I don't know, the starving children in India. <gasps> That's where God's going to send me then. <laughs> the very place I know I'd be terrible, or whatever it was. There was this kind of idea that if you let yourself be open to God's call, uh, he's going to send you to the very place that he knows you hate. <laughs> the very place. I can't stand curry. I'm just going to send me to India. I can't deal with the heat. He's going to send me somewhere hot. I hate the cold. It's going to be Alaska. Uh, that was kind of the mindset. <laughs> It does occasionally happen, by the way. That does sort of happen. I'm not completely dismissing that. But actually, the fear of that kind of discomfort can create the condition where we don't want to ask him stuff, so we're not having a chat now, are we? Can you follow the comfort of the couch? Sofa, settee. I'd rather not know. Don't send me anywhere. Don't ask, don't ask, please don't ask me to do that. Uh, so the, the avoiding of discomfort can create a condition where we stop listening if we're not careful. Um, does Jesus comfort us? The clue is in my body language. He does. He comforts us, right? Jesus comforts us. He is the comforter. That doesn't mean he doesn't want us to be uncomfortable. He's our comforter. That doesn't mean he doesn't want us to be uncomfortable. That's a terrible sentence structure, but you kind of get what I mean. Sometimes we want Jesus to comfort us. We need it. We need his comfort in the midst of struggle, despair, loss, and circumstances that are horrendous. We need his comforting arm. That's really good. There are times where we should embrace his comfort. That doesn't mean our life of faith is a comfortable one all the time. If we're not careful... We're not here because we don't want to be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Comfort of the couch, sofa, settee. Uh, same, same little team in Holland. Um, and I'm only going to tell you this because I thought I'd try this little app on my phone whilst 
talking to you. Um, as we went around the room, there were eight in the room. It was a business team, and I just asked them things that made them happy. Uh, for one of them, they ran a marathon, made them happy. Well, well done them. Uh, for somebody else, they'd climbed, I don't think it was Everest, but they'd climbed to base camp of somewhere like Everest. And for another, because I wanted to give you this word, uh, he had done the Elfstaatentocht. Do you know what that is? Hold on a minute. Hold on, let me just get this right. Hold on, people. It was the... Elfstedentocht. Elfstedentocht. Yeah, is that better? Or if you prefer it... Elfstedentocht. Or if you prefer it... Elfstedentocht. So, the same word, different ways. Do you want to know what it is? Yeah. I'm not going to tell you. No, it is. Um, it, <laughs> it, is um, it is ice skating 200 kilometers around the frozen canals of Holland. And they go past 11, hence Elf, Staden talked um, 11 cities. 200 kilometers skating. I mean, that's effort. You're not going to get to base camp Everest. You're not going to run a marathon and you're not going to ice skate 200 kilometers if you can't be bothered. You're just not. It's simple as that. If you want the equivalent in your faith of ice skating 200 kilometers, running a marathon and getting to base camp of Everest, it takes a bit of effort sometimes. Effort doesn't save you, but effort gets you further. Okay, and if we're not careful, we get a bit comfortable on the couch. Comfortable on the couch. We need to pursue Jesus, don't we? He says, be tested. Patience gives birth to all of these great things, goodness, faithfulness, and more. Be tested in it. Oh, it's getting a bit hot in the oven. Hot in the oven? Getting a bit hot in the kitchen. I'm getting out of the kitchen. It's always hot in an oven. This is off. I'm going to get out of the kitchen. And he's like, no, stay in the hot kitchen. You're learning some stuff in this heat. Uh, or it's getting a bit cold outside. You Stay there. Keep going. You're learning some stuff. Let us run with endurance, says the writer to Hebrews, as this wonderful book crescendos. Uh, Hebrews 12 starts to crescendo with this idea. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. In other words, get off the couch sometimes, please. I'm sure he asked us to get off the couch. Or sofa or settee. If you find yourself a bit couchy this morning, I am going to ask you to pray that God disturbs you, unsettles you, unsofas you, uh, uncouches you, or whatever the right phrase is. Kind of, let's, let's just make me a little bit unsettled um, if you feel you're a bit sofery. That was point number one. Point two, dropping the ball of complacency. All right, fine. Complacency. Um, and this is, what do I mean by complacency? If couch is a bit of a problem with laziness, complacency, in fact, is a problem with um, pride and ego. God, I don't really need you, thanks very much. I'll be fine. Things will happen that solve my problems. I kind of don't need you in my life, really. Or I have you in my life, but I don't need much more of that. I'm thinking here of the idea of the um, ten bridesmaids, if you remember Jesus' parable about bridesmaids. And if you don't, don't worry. Do you want the short version? There was an amazing wedding. You've been to an amazing wedding lately? Go to more weddings, have more parties. Amazing wedding, there were 10 bridesmaids. That's a lot of bridesmaids. In my view, that's a lot of bridesmaids. I thought we had a lot of bridesmaids. 10's a lot. I mean, 10's a lot. Have you ever been to a wedding with 10 bridesmaids? I mean, that is a recipe for disaster. Don't have 10. Um, fewer than 10. Double-digit bridesmaids are going to be a problem 
Uh, and, and that's my pearls of wisdom for you this morning. Uh, ten bridesmaids, um, five were well-prepared bridesmaids. They were ready for the party, which was going to happen whenever it happened. Apparently, the groom came when he liked. Very, in very sort of opposite traditions to these days, the sort of you have the groom waiting for the bride to turn up when she likes, which is basically getting the groom ready for the rest of his life. Um, she'll be ready when she's ready. Um, you know... Are you done yet? Uh, But in these days, in this story, it was the other way around. It was the groom who turned up whenever he decided to turn up. He'd been out on the longest stag do. I think the biblical story here was, uh, it was about a week. I mean, that is some stag do. It wasn't called stag do's because they didn't have stags in Israel. Uh, Whatever the equivalent was. He'd been out on a big party. Um, So the ten bridesmaids were kind of hanging around waiting for the groom to turn up. Uh, So ladies in the house, um, what do you tend to do if you're waiting for someone to turn up? Get your phone. I mean, I don't know how patient you are. I think waiting a week for someone to rock up is a fairly, take some patience. So half of this group got impatient um, and were, were, uh, forgive the stereotype, I'm really sorry for this, um, but I'm going to still do it. So maybe I'm not that sorry. Um, They were kind of sitting around having a chat, chit-chat, chit-chat, chatty-chatty-chatty, whilst they were waiting, whereas the other five kind of thought, hang on, we've been chatting so much, our oil is, we've lost all our oil in the lamps, we've spoken the oil out of our lamps, we need more oil. So they went off to get some oil, uh, because their one job, the one job of the bridesmaid was to light the way of the bridegroom with oil in their lamps. One job! Five of them were ready because they'd prepared for it. Five of them were not ready because they'd chatted around and not been ready for it. And Jesus' analogy is kind of the same that I'm going to try to make now, which is this. If we get too complacent, the oil of our lamps, the, faith, the oil of faith in our lives will go dim because we've chatted it away and we're not ready. And we have one job, people, which is to welcome the bridegroom into his party. That's our one job. One job, one job. Shall I say it again for effect? We got one job! <laughs> right? uh, we need to keep our lights ready. We need to have the oil ready in our lamps. And if we get too complacent, you know, we're not going to. We're not going to have it. We'll just not be ready. And Jesus will say to us, you ready to go? And we'll be like, oh no, I've been chatting away. I'm not ready. Because I've just not been bothered. Again, I've got complacent. How does this work? Let me try to make this a little bit more real um, with some of the work I occasionally do. So, I do, do you know what? I get paid to chat. Isn't that great? It's great for me. It's not so much for my clients. I get paid to chat. Really good. Um, so, there are people in this world that write me a check to come and have a chat to them. I mean, it's just the best job ever. Really cool. Um, uh, and occasionally, those people are leaders in business. Um, there was uh, somebody that came to the island a few years ago, um, invited to take over a local business here. They employ about 150 people. Uh, so we meet for breakfast, because food is always good, about once a month, have a bit of a chat. Um, and part of what I think my role in life is, is to just listen to what God is doing in the smoked salmon and scrambled egg breakfast at Hojo's. I like Hojo's. Really nice breakfast. Uh, so this chappy John was just telling me about different things. Uh, the business is this, his family the other, and bought a house good. Um, and just started, he just made one little comment about, 
a moment. I said, what, what was this? Was there a moment in life that you think was a defining moment for you? He said, well, it's probably, Phil, when I collapsed out of hard work and sort of blacked out for about an hour, and I felt this light in my mind getting me out of the death spot. <laughs> he said, I think it might have been a divine moment. Hmm. John, I think it might have been a divine moment. Uh, in other words, if we're not kind of ready to hear what God's saying or doing, we're going to miss it. He, it was one sentence in the midst of an hour and a half's chat. This happens all the time. I can say this happens. I, I miss stuff all the time. We probably miss stuff all the time. If we have our eyes and ears open to what God's doing, we'll see it. If we get complacent, like, pfft, we're not going to see it. Almost that simple. We won't hear him. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 4. For those that really want to get into this, read through Hebrews. It's a phenomenal book. Uh, Today, if you hear his voice, says the author of Hebrews, probably Paul, do not harden your hearts. That's what complacency does. Well, our hearts get hardened. He speaks, and it's like the words boing off. Ba-doink, ba-doink, ba-doink. And he says, let those words go in. You do need me. We need each other. Um, Act, be aware, be alert. It's his Sabbath, not ours. All right, um, part four. Do you know, it's it's, um, 11.42, for those of you looking at your watches. And if you weren't, it's 11.42. So I'll keep this third point reasonably straightforward. Um, Comfort of the couch will stop us hearing God. Complacency will stop us from hearing him. We just won't be ready. Uh, The third is a controlling mind. Um, So (laughs) I've got a few of your eyes there, like, way. If we try to control uh, too much, we're not going to hear him so well. And what do I mean by this? I'll give you an illustration. So um, it's a work type one. Again, we, we... we produce little flyers for some of the stuff we do. We've got nice red borders around the edges. Um, and I asked one of, our, uh, one of our team just to take a look. And she said, Phil, the border at the bottom is slightly bigger than the border around the edges. And I can't live with that. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, are there things like that you can't live with in your life? Little things? I've got loads, I've realised now. How about, just tell, tell somebody, what can't, what's really annoying that you can't live with? <laughs> can't be doing with that. <laughs> I've started something now. The problem with a controlling mind is a bit like this, or high control. A controlling comes with negative connotations sometimes, doesn't it? But a control specialist um, is normally that the desire for control starts with fear. So a high, somebody who's high in control is often trying to um, make life happen in a way that's not going to cause problems. In other words, they're fearful of problems. I'll give another illustration. So um, did I tell you we went to Crete for, for the summer holidays? <laughs> yeah, we went to Crete. Great. So that included some time with our uh, niece and nephew. Um, nephew is about seven or eight. Um, and the place we were staying had some fabulous water slides for children and adults. Like, I mean, great slides, four amazing water slides. So, like, Fen, his name is, little Fen, uh, was like, let's go. Oh, well, that's, that's all the invitation I need. Let's go. Um, wouldn't it be crazy if, to go down the water slides, I decided to put on a helmet on my head, bubble wrap around my body, maybe a pair of jeans just in case, I don't know, just in case I scratched my leg on the way down, uh, and a diving suit or something. Would that not be ridiculous? 
be ridiculous, but you want to see it, right? Um, so the high control sort of mind is trying to remove all risk and all concern from their life in some ways. So it's like, <gasps> before, you get on, before you get down the slide pool, you've got to put a water, um, you know, helmet on your head kind of idea. In other words, the high control robs life of joy and freedom. Now let's bring this into a faith setting. For thousands of years, religion has done this consistently. We get very controlly in a religious setting. Think about the phrase, thou shalt. Thou shalt, thou shalt. Um, there are 10 commandments to start thou shalt in old language. But we, we then add a whole bunch of them. Like, um, thou shalt wear a tie on a Sunday morning, and so on. I mean, some of you have got a rich pedigree of faith journey, which will include some of these things. Oh, you don't wear that in church. Uh, or you must have thou shalt. Um, I told you the budgie story in this context. If I have, I'm going to repeat it uh, with no apology. And we do have some friends um, who took, well, they were told to take the swing out of the budgie's cage on a Sunday because the budgie couldn't have any fun on a Sunday. I mean, really? It's a budgie for a start. Give me a swing. In some ways, like God says, thou shalt not have fun on a Sunday. Every other day, do what you like. Really? Shocking, right? So the, the high control is trying to remove fun and freedom from life. Now, if we're not, there's a real finesse here. If we're not careful, we'll start to hear things that we think are from God that aren't from God. And this is what a controlling mindset starts to do. And I'll, I'm slowing my pace to be careful because there is a place for prophecy. We'll explore that perhaps next week. And prophecy is where God does speak to us and we convey something of what God says. But sometimes we think it's God, it's not God. If, and I hope you haven't been on the receiving end of this, but most of us might have been. Um, God says this, it's not God who says that. God says that you should buy me a lovely bottle of perfume. <laughs> Somebody might say to me, hmm. Hmm, really? Is that, hmm, maybe. I'm being a bit ridiculous to illustrate. Uh, it happens in a church setting fairly frequently because we're overtly thinking about our faith journey here. We're thinking about Jesus, we're thinking about faith, but we'll hear it in church in weird ways. Um, God says that you must go to church three times on a Sunday. I'm not sure he does. Um, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But if we start to use his name in vain, in fact, we are in danger of doing the very thing he asks us not to do, which is to take his name in vain. And a high-control mindset will, if we're not careful. So when, when Jesus actually speaks to us and asks us or talks to us in a way we're not quite expecting, the control mindset says, that's not him. It can't be him. He's asking me to go and sit in Christie's cafe this morning. That sounds a bit weird. It's Sunday. I should be in church. Well, um, you know, if he's asking you to do something different, do something different. So the high-control mindset gets too constrained. It's almost like my way or no way. That's the control mind. It's not great. It's fear-driven, not faith-driven. Now, is God a control specialist? That's not a rhetorical question. You can give me some body language if you like. I'm intrigued. Is God a control specialist? Not in the way I'm conveying it. He's in control, though, isn't he? So again, we have this little, this little tension here, because God is in control, but he's not a control freak. He stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't kick it in. 
I stand at the door of your life and knock. He's waiting for us to open it. A control freak would open the door, right? We'd all be robots in the equivalent of. And following him in some kind of religious way, we go to church. He's, he's, made, it, he's made us free because he's not a control freak. We have free will. There's joy in that. And therefore, uh, we have choices to make. But he's not imposing his will on us. And yet he invites the same back. Uh, how may, I've done this, I'm a bit embarrassed to say, but sometimes I, I have sort of discussed things with God, prayed, uh, in a way that's a little bit controlling of him. Well, how ridiculous is that? If, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you kind of idea. It's a little bit of a trap, I think. Instead, he says, don't be afraid, doesn't he? All the way through the Bible. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Because I am, the Lord is, with you. Be strong and courageous, don't fear. Fear will create a control freakery. Faith builds joy and freedom. So God is a comforter, but not always comfortable. He is definitely humble. He's not proud. He's in control, but not controlling. And he's asking us the same. Avoid the comfort of the couch, sofa, settee listen to him all the time don't be afraid